Well, today we're starting this new series called Perfectly One. Now, when we were last together, two weeks ago, I feel like I haven't seen you forever uh, because of the snow last week, but two weeks ago, we introduced our theme for the year. Here at Generation Church, we always have a theme that we center a lot of things around, and that theme was Perfectly One. And uh, we explain that, so if you want to know all that's all about, you can go online and, and, and listen to the, that sermon and uh, listen to that talk and see what that was all, all about. But we're going to start a brand new series that's going to last uh, several weeks uh, uh, at the start of this year called Perfectly One. Now, back in the summer, if you could remember the summer, you know, those nice hot days where you got to wear shorts and flip-flops, you know, and, uh, and we didn't have to like run up ridiculous heating bills at home and things like that. Uh, Beautiful days of summer. Uh, my family, we took a road trip to Florida. Uh, we did the insane and we went to Disney for like 10 days, which I swear I will never do again. I said I will never go to Disney for five more years. And then my wife says, hey, March, can we go to uh, Florida for a couple of days, see my parents and maybe take Gavin to Disney for like a day? I'm like, <gasps> I said I wouldn't go there for five years. But anyway, I broke my promise, maybe. But we took a road trip, so we actually got in our car and we drove through the night. It took us about 14 hours uh, through the night and uh, we got into uh, Orlando and uh, we stayed there for like 10 days. Um, and my in-laws, they live in the Tampa Bay area. And so my wife wanted to stay with my son uh, to spend some time with them uh, at their home down there in the Tampa Bay area. And so I drove them down to Tampa, stayed there a day, and then I left them uh, so they could fly home. And I drove home. So I got up at six o'clock in the morning and I was determined to get home as quick as possible, keeping the speed limit and, uh, and, and not to get like home really late. So I actually got home at 9.30 that night. I made two stops uh, to get gas and to go to the bathroom. That was it. I had all the food I needed in my car. But to help me along the way, I had been given an audio book. And it's a book called The Boys in the Boat. And this is uh, uh, an audio book that compro comprises of 12 CDs, if you remember what a CD is. My car at the time had a CD player, and so I was able to listen to this. Now, it was a fascinating book. Uh, it took me from about Tampa to south of the border, if you know where that is. That's like the border between North Carolina and South Carolina to actually start to enjoy the book. Uh, but, a great advert, right? But then from the South Carolina, North Carolina border all the way home, it was riveting, and I still had two chapters left when I got home, and I felt like just driving around a little bit more just to hear the end of the book. I didn't, but I felt like doing it. Now, the reason I want to mention this is because this is an incredible book. It's not a Christian book or anything. It's a book, actually, that uh, chronicles the, the real-life story of nine men on their epic journey to win uh, Olympic rowing gold in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Now, if you remember, 1936, Adolf Hitler was in Nazi Germany, uh, were in control of, uh, of Germany at the time. And so it was the epic journey to partake in that. Now, there were nine students from the University of Washington. And this story is an amazing story because against all the odds, 
these guys who were very different, they had different personalities, they had different upbringings, some were poor, some were pretty well-to-do, so, some of them were very loud and outspoken, some of them were very quiet, uh, some of them were excellent oarsmen, some of them really had to learn their trade and learn their skill. Uh, and and, and this, this book goes through all their personalities and all their characters and all their backgrounds. And against all odds, when they really should not have been the team that went to the Olympics, they actually went to the Olympics. And then they got to the Olympics, and the German boat was the favorites, followed by the British boat. Whoa. But yet, against all odds on choppy water, they came through, and they won the gold medal for the United States of America in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin in front of Adolf Hitler. And this story is an amazing story of how nine individuals who are totally different, do not even know each other, can come together and form a team. They weren't individually the best oarsmen, but together they came out on top and they were world champions. And it's an amazing story because it just shows us the power of a team. It shows us when, when people come together, what they can do together. And, and this story, as I was listening to this story, like as you're going through like 95 and your eyes are like closing and you're trying to keep them open, uh, and I'm listening to this story, it's reminding me of a bunch of guys who got together about 2,000 years ago and followed this rabbi called Jesus. Uh, and it reminds me of how these disciples, they were so different from different backgrounds, had different views, had different political uh, uh, perspectives, had different desires in life, different roles in life. They had different gifts and the different talents, but yet they came together and collectively as they came together, something happened and they started the one church that changed the world as we know it. Against all odds, when everything was against them, they changed the world as history even knew it. And it's an amazing story. And these guys, they were average people like you and me, but yet their story and their experience can speak to us in so many ways. Now, going back just a few years before they changed the world, Jesus was still around, and they followed Jesus around. And the night that Jesus was betrayed and the night that Jesus was arrested and he was going to be sentenced to death, Jesus knelt on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed this prayer. And we read it two weeks ago in John chapter 17, verses 22 to 23. And this is what Jesus prayed. He says, I have given them... The glory you gave me. He's talking about his disciples. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Jesus is talking about as the Father and I are one so they may be one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity or as the English Standard Version says, may they be perfectly one that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And the amazing thing is, is these disciples got together 
and a few others, a uh, few of the women and a few of the, 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 the brothers and Jesus and some other men, and they got together, and through them, the world started to discover that Jesus really was the Son of God, sent by God to die for the sins of humanity, to be the Messiah that was long ago predicted. And through them, the world discovered and is still discovering that God loves them. And so the prayer of Jesus was answered through these guys. But I believe that prayer is not just for them, it's also for us as well. Now, as these disciples followed Jesus and they walked around and they followed Jesus, they were really good at asking questions. They would see Jesus do something and they'd be like, Jesus, why are you doing that? Why are you saying that, Jesus? They would see Jesus perform a miracle and they would ask a question, why can't I do that? My son says that all the time. He watches Spider-Man. He loves Spider-Man. He thinks he's Peter, Pan, Peter Parker at the moment. And we were in Target yesterday. He says, Daddy, he goes, I need to find some spider webs. He goes, so I can climb like Spider-Man. I'm like, why can't I climb like Spider-Man? Because I, and then I had to let it down to him. I'm like, son, because he's not real, okay? But these disciples were like, why can't we do what you do, Jesus? Why, why, why can you turn water into wine and we can't? Why can you raise the dead and, uh, and, and we're struggling? Why can you cast demons out and, uh, and they don't listen to us? They ask these questions all the time of Jesus. What does this mean? What does that mean? They were good at asking questions. And sometimes, even when we think we know the answer, it is still good to ask Jesus again. So often we go on this journey of faith and we think we know all the answers and we forget to stop and ask Jesus. But yet, sometimes Jesus will surprise you by the answer. It's good to ask questions. As a church, we need to be constantly asking questions of the Lord. The day we stop asking questions is the day that we stop learning. So we need to start constantly be asking questions. And I'm so thankful that we're part of a community where it's okay to question. It's okay to ask questions. Because it's through asking questions of the Lord and even asking questions of each other that we grow in our faith and we grow in being a disciple of Jesus. And so one of the greatest questions the disciples asked Jesus was this. Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Teach us to pray. So the disciples had noticed that Jesus had this unique prayer life. That the way that Jesus communicated with the Father was a little different to how the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and the way that they had grown up. And even people, the way that the Jewish people communicated with God. And they were like, there's something different. I like the way Jesus prays. So they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And in Luke chapter 11, verse 2 to 4, Jesus said this. This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need or forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. So if you've been exposed to Christianity at all in your life, you've probably been exposed to this prayer. 
So the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them this model prayer. Now, I'm not sure if it, uh, because this model prayer is the model prayer that you find in Matthew chapter 6, where, where Jesus is, is, is talking and preaching on the Sermon of the Mount. Now, is this the same event or is this a different event? I'm not really sure how, if Luke is talking about the same event or a different event. But if it's a different event, maybe Jesus is saying, hey guys, remember where, where, when we were on the mountain and we were teaching the multitudes and, and, and I was teaching you uh, and I talked about you being the light of, of the world and the salt of the earth and a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Remember when I talked about blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who are persecuted. Remember when I said all that? I don't know if you remember, but there was a prayer that I prayed in that prayer. And it was this prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Now, I remember it old school ways. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation. But Jesus gives this model prayer to them. Now, this prayer has been prayed so many times. So many people know it. When people go through hard times, they pray this prayer. Many churches today may even pray this prayer. When I was a child growing up in our elementary school, prayer was allowed still in school. And at every assembly, we had an assembly every morning, every assembly at the end, we would pray the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm very familiar with this prayer. And for years, it was just, yeah, it was just the Lord's Prayer. But then I started looking at it and I noticed noticing it. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, what do you notice? What do you notice about the Lord's Prayer? Well, this is what I notice. I don't find any I, me, or my in the Lord's Prayer. There is no I, me, or my. It is full of us, our, and those. Us, our, and those. It is a group prayer. It's not an individual prayer. It's a prayer to be prayed with other people. It's a prayer when you gather with others to pray together. It's a prayer not for an individual need, but for a group need. So I pray, Lord, give me the daily bread that I need. But Jesus is telling the disciples, no, give us the daily bread. Let us not yield to temptation. Let us forgive us, uh, have our sins forgiven as we forgive those who sin against us. It's a group prayer. And this is the model prayer that Jesus gave. Now, I find it interesting that the disciples said, teach us to pray, Lord. But then you start reading through the rest of the Gospels and you don't really find an account where the disciples are praying. You see lots of accounts where Jesus is praying but you don't find the disciples praying. Now, mainly because the Gospels more center on Jesus than they do on the disciples. But still, you don't really find a time where the disciples are praying. Even the one time Jesus says, hey, come pray with me, the Bible records that the disciples fell asleep instead of praying. And I don't know about you, but I've done that on more than one occasion. But it's not until Jesus has been arrested, has been sentenced to death, crucified, died, put in a tomb, rose on the tomb, 
spend 40 days with them, then ascend into heaven, that we actually start to find that the disciples start to pray. And so if you want to fast forward in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, we're going to see what I call here the one accord prayer. So now they're saying, teach us to pray. But a few years later, now we are seeing a one accord prayer. So Jesus has just ascended to heaven. And and I, I find this really hard to even imagine and picture. But Jesus is ascending in the clouds. The disciples are looking. An angel says, why are you even looking in the heavens? Jesus is gone. Go on your way. And then this is what the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 12 says. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went up to the upstairs room of the house they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, who was already dead. Then it says this, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, do you see what their first reaction is? Jesus is gone. Their first reaction is, let's get together. Let's not go to our own houses and sleep on it and, you know, let's text about it tomorrow. Hey, how about Jesus going up to heaven? That was a great party trick. No, their first reaction was, let's get together. Then their second reaction is, okay, we need to pray, but we need to be united in prayer. We need to be coming together in prayer. Now let's fast forward a few verses and then go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And then it says this, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, I find this interesting, the word together. Why didn't the Acts of the Apostles just say all the disciples were in one place? Why did the Acts of the Apostles say they were meeting together in one place? And this is why. Because you can be in the same place, but not together. You can be in the same church, but you're not united. You can be in the same house, but there'd be dysfunction and not together. See, they were meeting together in one place. It wasn't that half of them went to the 8 o'clock service and the other half went to the 10.30 service. It's not that some of them went to the East Campus and some of them went to the West Campus. It's not that some of them were, 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 were in one room and some of them were in another room. No, the Bible says they were meeting together in one place. This was their posture as a church, that we are together as one. We're not a group of individuals doing our own thing, just coming to hear a message and hear, hear some worship. It's not like Peter was just getting together because he liked the word. But John came because he liked the music. It wasn't like Matthew came because they had a great youth ministry. Or Andrew came because the kids were happy there and it kept them quiet for a while. 
It wasn't that Simon the, Zealot, Simon the Zealot was there because they had a great outreach ministry. No, there was a commonality between them that they came together for one purpose. Together in one place. And this is what they were doing. United in prayer. United in prayer. Notice it doesn't say they just gathered to pray. They gathered to pray. But it says they were together, united in prayer. Well, what does that even mean, united in prayer? Well, I'm going to stab a guess here. And this is what I think it means. They had the same requests. They had the same desires. They had the same goals. And they believed in the same God. See, we could be in this place today... And you could believe in a totally different God than I believe in. Because your view of God can be totally different. But not these guys. These guys believed in the same God. They had seen Jesus in the flesh. They knew who Jesus was. And they followed Jesus. And they had the same requests, the same desires. It wasn't like Peter came in and says, you know, today I'm going to pray for my Aunt Bessie because she's not doing too good. And, and then John comes along and says, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pray for my career because it's not advancing very much. And, and, and then Andrew comes along and says, you know what, I, I'm falling on some hard financial times, so I really need to pray for my finances right now. And, and, uh, and then Bartholomew comes along and, and, and he says, you know what, I'm really having some difficulty, you know, in my home life. My kids just aren't doing what they should be doing. I'm, I'm going to pray for them today. It wasn't like a bunch of different prairie requests. They came together in a we prayer. Now let me just preface, there is time for me prayer. The Bible talks about me prayer when you come to God with your requests. Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. We need to be asking of God. He says, let all your requests be made known to the Lord. You look through the Old Testament and prophet after prophet and king after king came to God with me requests. There are times for that. But when people gather together, we need to focus on more we prayers than me prayers. They had the same requests. I was born in the summer of 1979. August 1979, later that winter, the United Kingdom went into turmoil. The government almost went into shutdown, almost, right? The United Kingdom was controlled by a lot of national companies, nationalistic companies that were owned by the government, like the gas and the railroads and the buses and, 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 and the coal mining. All that was owned by the government. Well, they had these trade unions, and the trade unions decided that they wanted to halt the government and stop the government because they weren't getting what they wanted. And so there was this standoff between the British government and the trade unions that came, that almost uh, destroyed the economy of the UK. There were, there were gas stations without gas. There were people who couldn't get heat in for the winter. There was not food on, on, on the shelves because of it. And they called it the winter of discontent. Now, I really hope it wasn't because I was born that year and now everyone was in discontent. But the winter of discontent. The power of this trade union, these trade unions, was so much that the government really had to rethink 
how they were going to pass some laws and, and run the country. Eventually, later that year, they sorted it all out, and the economy rose once again. But there is power in a trade union. There is power in the collective. If one of those workers had gone up to the executives and said and started wagging their finger and saying, I want this, I want this, we need this, this isn't good enough, do you know what the executives would have said? You're fired, right? Or on your little way. But when collectively as a group you come together and you come before the executives, there is now power. There's power in the collective. There's power in in the together. There's power in the bodies that are coming and saying, this is our one request. And in the same way that a trade union often has power coming before an executive, this is what I know when a church comes together and prays together with one desire, one request, coming to one God, this is what happens. There is power in that prayer. Not saying there's not power in the prayer of praying my me prayers and I prayers, but when we come together and pray a we prayer, there is power. The disciples here are practicing how Jesus taught them to pray. We, our, those. Group prayer. I call it one accord prayer. So let's take a look at the results, what happened. So they were gathered together in one place, united in prayer, and then suddenly, this is what happens. It's as a sound as, uh, of, its, uh, of if a mighty rushing wind comes in. Suddenly, they see cloven tongues of fire on their head. They're like, what? Now they start talking gibberish. They start talking in languages that they've never even learned before. And they're thinking, what is going on here? Something strange. What was in that pizza last night? I'm like, this is weird. Suddenly, this prayer service spills out from the upper room into the streets of Jerusalem. Everyone is amazed. What is going on? These guys must be drunk, they said. They said, no, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. And then Peter starts to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that day, 3,000 people were added to their number. But the amazing thing about this story, it didn't just stop on that day. It wasn't like they just had that one day. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, this is what it said. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Noticed all the believers devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They're thinking, hold on, prayer got us here. But you're united in prayer, God is here. We're not going to leave from here. We're going to make sure that we're going to continue praying because some crazy stuff is going on right now. And it started with prayer. And it says this, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. See, this is what happens when the church comes together with one desire, one request, praying to one God, suddenly a deep sense of awe comes over. You start feeling God and seeing God in all the things that you do. And then this is also what happens. Miracles start happening. And let me tell you what happens once miracles start happening. An outside world starts paying attention and thinking, what is going on? I need to be part of this. 
Then let's carry on. Verse 44, it says, And all the believers met together in one place. Remember this? Together. They were together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then it says this, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So it wasn't now... Every time they gather on a Sunday, one or two more coming in and and getting saved and finding Jesus. It says every single day more was being added to them. They were slowly changing the world, changing their community, ultimately changing the known world. Why? Because they were united in prayer. Now very quickly before we close, I want to show you one more prayer. See, it's all very well coming together and praying with this we prayer of God, please come. Holy Spirit, come. God, come and do amazing things. God, come and show the world that you love them and that you really are the Son of God. But what happens when one of our members goes to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm sorry to say, it's cancer. What happens when one of the men in our congregation wakes up in the morning and looks at his wife and his wife is in tears because she's just lost the baby? What happens when the family have all the bills on the table and they don't know what to do because they've just lost their jobs? What happens when the husband and the wife see their marriage being torn apart? What happens? Well, then you need what I call intentional prayer. Intentional prayer. And the disciples modeled this. The early church modeled this as well. See, this is what they did. They didn't just let you pray by yourself. They didn't just let the individual, well, go home, get on your knees and come and hear a word and maybe some worship and, you know, you'll you'll be fine. Get on with it by yourself. The leaders didn't even just say, you know what? Let's just get a few of the ladies around you to come and comfort you. Or or go talk to to this guy. Or or, or go read this book. Or go listen to this podcast. Or or, we'll just quickly pray with you right now. No, this is what happened. Your me prayer became their we prayer. How many times do we do that? As believers of Jesus Christ, how many times do we... Let someone else's me prayer become our we prayer. Well, this is what happened to them in Acts chapter 4. John and Peter have been out in the streets declaring the good news of Jesus, and suddenly they got arrested. They got thrown into prison, and then they got put before the court. They call it the council. And they got before the magistrates, and the magistrates said, how do you defend yourself? And Peter and John started to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were so on fire for Jesus. They're like, nothing can stop us. Well, this is what the court says. You shall not ever in the streets of Jerusalem preach about Jesus again. You forbid it. If you do, there will be consequences and you will all be arrested. 
and then they leave the court. And then this is what the Bible says. In, verse, in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. Do you hear this? It wasn't just like, okay, let's get some of the leaders together to pray. No, all of the believers came together in prayer. And this is what they said. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David by your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. And against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give, and here's the prayer, and give your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hands with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So here they've got an issue. There's a problem. And the disciples and the believers get intentional. And they come together as a church. And this is what they pray. God, give us boldness to declare your name. No matter what the court said, give us boldness. Oh, and on top of that, let there be healing power and let there be many miraculous signs and wonders. They were together, united in prayer, and this was their prayer. And let's take a look at what happened. After this, verse 31 says, The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they get their answer to prayer. Then they preach the word of God with boldness. The prayer of the believers was intentional and empowering. It was not just prayed out of selfishness or wrong motives. They prayed jointly together for the good of the church and the good of the gospel. And if we are to be perfectly one as a church... We need to be praying together for the good of the church and the good of the gospel. So if one person is going through a moment when they need God, this is what we need to do for the good of the church. We need to come around them and we need to pray with them. When somebody else is going through this and that, we need to come around them as a church. See, this is what we do in church life. We like to keep things private ourselves we don't want anyone we don't want to bother people but as a church we're here to be bothered because we need each other we need the collective we need to be praying we prayers and if you have a me prayer let that me prayer become our we prayer see prayer meetings or prayer services I grew up with going to a prayer service every Monday night some were good some were terrible some were alive some were dead but prayer meetings or services are often full of individuals with their own requests, 
hoping that God is going to come and meet those needs. However, this is what I know. Powerful gatherings are prayer services where people gather with the purpose of being one body, with one prayer, and one desire. Just because a church prays doesn't mean it's a united church. But a church that prays, we prays. I believe is a united church. And over the last couple of weeks, this has been my prayer as I've got before God. Lord, teach us at Generation how to pray. Teach us at Generation how to pray. Teach us to pray we prayers. Teach us to pray for one another. Teach us to pray in one accord. Bring us together in that, in, in that holy moment of prayer. Some of you, you may not even know how to pray for other people. I was looking through a book that I have on my bookshelf. It's called, it's a book, it's a huge big book, and it's actually an Anglican book. My, my brother is an Anglican minister, and so I'm familiar with a lot of the things that Anglicans do. And it's a huge book, and it's called The Common Book of Prayer. And, and basically, it, it's full of different prayers for church services. Uh, and, uh, and different devotionals for the, for the, for the Anglican uh, clergy to go through and, and stuff. And it, it, some of it's, some of it's like doesn't, wouldn't apply to us at all here at Generation, but some of it's good. And I found this prayer in this book. And it's a prayer for unity in the church. And so if you don't know how to pray, then maybe this is a prayer that you can pray for us and this church. This is what the prayer, and you'll find it on the screen. It says, Almighty God, whose blessed Son before his passion prayed for his disciples, that they might be one, as you and he are one. Grant that your church, being bound together in love and obedience to you, may be united in one body and by one spirit, that the world may believe in him whom you sent. Your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to ask that that just be left on the screen. But this is what we're going to do before we end today. We're going to practice just for five minutes what it means to pray we prayers. We're going to practice what it means to pray together. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask Zoe if she wants to come up. I'm going to ask Pastor Chris if he wants to come up. And we're going to pray three prayers this morning. In a moment, we're going to stand. And we're going to pray for three things this morning. Zoe's going to pray for the first thing. And the first thing that she's going to pray for is she's going to pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in our church. And as Zoe's praying, it's not just Zoe praying to God, it's us as a church praying. So you pray along with Zoe as well. Maybe you want to pray verbally, maybe you're not that kind of verbal kind of person, but maybe you want to listen to what she's saying and then agree in your, in your heart and in your spirit unto God. But as she prays for the Holy Spirit, let's too open up our hearts and pray along with Zoe for the Holy Spirit. Then after Zoe prays, then Chris is going to pray. 
And Chris is going to pray for the unity of the church and that we may be perfectly one together here in this place so that the world will know that Jesus really is the Son of God and that God loves them. And as Chris prays, you pray along with Chris. Don't just let Chris pray to God, but let's pray together. You may want to pray verbally out loud yourself whilst Chris is praying. Or if you're not the verbal type of person, you pray, listen to what Chris is praying and agree in your spirit and in your heart. Then after Chris prays, then I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community that it may be spread. And it may become alive and that Jesus may become famous in this Hartford County area. And as I pray, don't let just me pray, but pray with me as well. And maybe you want to pray verbally as well as I pray. Or you may want to just pray and listen to what I say and pray it in your heart and your spirit and agree unto God. So I'm going to ask us to stand to our feet this morning. And this morning, we're going to pray together. And we're going to start as a church to start praying we prayers. I don't know what that all looks like this year. I've been praying, God, teach us to pray. There's many ways to pray. But this is what we're going to do this morning before we close. So Zoe, will you start us off? Father God, we stand here this morning and we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for Generation Church and for everything that you have called it to be. And we stand here as a united body, Father God, and ask as one unit that your Holy Spirit would fall in this place and that it would be real in our lives. That we as a church and as the body of Christ and as the bride of Christ would feel your Holy Spirit coming to this place and that it would change us as a unit. It would change us as a church. That when we come into this place that we know as Generation Church, as your bride of Christ, that your Holy Spirit exists here and it exists in our lives, Father God. We thank you and we praise you that you have given us this gift that we can tap into, that we can reach out for as a church, and that we can lift each other up with the Holy Spirit, Father God. And we just ask that it be present in Generation Church and in our lives and in our children's lives and in this community, Father God. We just ask that you fall in this place and that you continue to fall in this place and that our lives would be changed. When we come in this place that we know that we have met with you and that we have felt your Holy Spirit and that we can lean on that Holy Spirit, we just thank you, Father God. Father, we thank you this morning that unity is your heart's cry for us and that apart from you, we can do nothing. Teach us, Lord, to understand, to comprehend that the unity we're talking about is not a unity that is uniformity. It's not all thinking the same way and doing the same things and looking the same and conforming to some external vision. But it's the unity of the Spirit that we seek. And that's a unity that celebrates our diversity. It celebrates our experiences and it celebrates our understandings. And it enables us to build the church up by appreciating and fostering those differences under the guidance of your spirit. And so, Lord, you tell us to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so we ask God that the differences and the diversity would be something we come to celebrate, that we build a unity that reflects the true nature of who you are. For you created each one. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father over all and in all and through all. 
Help us, God, to keep our focus upon that unity. In times when we feel another person is getting on our nerves, another person is incomprehensible because of the way they see things, rather than withdrawing, rather than separating, rather than launching into our own preferences. We pray, God, for the humility. We pray, God, for the sensitivity and for the supernatural love that enables us to continue to reach out and embrace each other in those differences so that the world can see a unity that's different than any other kind of forced unity, any other conformity that it tries to foster and that it values. This is the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let it fall upon Generation Church. Lord, let each one of us commit to being united, to being the body of Christ together, celebrating the glory of who you are and reaching out to each other and to the world around us in goodness. Father God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that has changed our lives. God, we thank you that we have found forgiveness of sin. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit is alive and well within us. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. And Father, that good news that has been planted in our hearts, God, and that has grown and that has changed our lives. Father, this morning, we ask as a church that this good news, Lord, will be proclaimed throughout Harford County. God, from Bel Air to Forest Hill to Churchville, God, to Falston, Lord, to Joppatown, to Aberdeen, Lord Jesus, God. We pray to have it a grace in Darlington and, uh, and God, the northern part of the county up in in Whiteford and Pilesville, Lord Jesus. God, we're praying in the name of Jesus today that your gospel will be spread. Lord, let it not be restricted. And God, as the disciples prayed, we pray too, Lord. Give us boldness and courage to declare your gospel, Lord. We pray for our friends and our families and our co-workers and our neighbors, Lord, that they will experience the very power of God in their lives, that they will see that Jesus is Lord and that you love them, Lord. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that sin will be banished, Lord. Lord, that death will be We'll, we'll, we'll be locked up, Lord Jesus, and new life in you will arise. And so, Father, we pray that the gospel will be spread throughout all the churches, God, in this county. God, from, from the charismatic churches, oh God, to, 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 to the Catholic churches, Lord Jesus, to the Methodist churches, the Lutheran churches, God. We pray, Lord Jesus, God, that the power of the Holy Spirit will go forth and then the gospel will be proclaimed. We ask of you, Jesus, let your name be exalted. Let the name of Jesus be made famous in Harford County. We ask together as a church, standing before our heavenly Father, boldly approaching your throne of grace in your holy name today. And now, God, as we go our separate ways, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll keep us safe, keep us warm, let this week be a blessed week where we have an opportunity to tell of your good news. That this week, Lord, that we will see that daily people coming to know you. We ask in your name. God, it's a privilege to worship you today. So as we come back even next week in one place together, Lord, let your presence be in this place, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.